Well, as I mentioned um, earlier, uh, lucky for you guys, I just got back from a conference about orphans. Yes, uh, in Nashville for uh, a few days, and um, it was a really an amazing feeling to be surrounded by um, over 2,000 people who um, have the same passion and the same heart uh, for this cause. And so um, it was just in a really encouraging place. And um, hey, I'm just getting word from them back there. If we could, if there's any space that y'all can squeeze into the middle just to make some more room on the edge for some folks to come in and sit, that would be helpful. So if some kids cleared out and you've got some space to kind of move to the middle, uh, help us out in that way. That'd be awesome. So I hadn't been at the conference uh, for more than just a few minutes. The first speaker got up and began talking. And literally, they probably weren't more than two minutes into the very first talk, and I was already crying. And I was like, this is going to be a long couple days. Um, So um, the crisis of 150 million children in the world growing up apart from a family, Um, you know, from parents who are, are tucking them in at night and fighting for their hearts, it just wrecks me. And I've come to understand that it's uh, something as the church that we cannot ignore. Um, For one, I mean, it's all over Scripture, God's heart, so that's why I shared those verses with you this morning. But another piece of that time of being at that conference was just being really encouraged, being encouraged by the number of churches in America who are waking up to this in the last 10 or so years and really making a significant movement in, in caring for vulnerable children, and obviously just our own church as well. That's been encouraging. Um, if you'll recall, back in January, those of you that were here, I kind of laid out um, kind of three goals for us as a church community for the next year, and one of those goals for 2017 is that we would have 10 families in our church that would sign up for foster care or adoption. They would be in the process of, of filling out their paperwork and moving in that direction. And as I've shared with you, we accomplished that goal in about six weeks. Uh, So by mid-February, we were able to check that one off, and we've added a couple more to that list since then, um, which has been very exciting. Um, But I think what I've realized is that my heart longs for something on a much grander scale than that. I'm having a hard time being content with where we are in this conversation, not only around the world, but even just with our church. And some of you probably think that's crazy, but I'll tell you a little bit more about it as we go. I, wanna, I want you to watch this video for a moment, um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. It's, it's a guy named Tony Dungy, who was an NFL player and coach, and his wife sharing a little bit about their, their heart for adoption. So.
I love what they said there. I hope you caught it, kind of towards the end. He said, we have an incredible opportunity to start a movement, a movement that says that we won't rest until the orphan crisis has ended. And I love that idea of being a part of a movement because I feel like it communicates a much bigger vision, um, a much grander idea of what's possible. Um, The orphan crisis is a 150 million child problem. And so it, it requires an exponential movement mindset in order to address it. And we're not talking about just fostering and adopting, but it's a multi-layered crisis. We need job creation and family reunification and prevention and transitioning kids out of foster care into adulthood. But here's what I keep coming back to. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, page 948. Uh, Look down at, at verse 48. And then I want you to look at the second sentence, the second half of that. Jesus says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Another translation you've probably heard in your life is to whom much is given, much is expected, right? Maybe you've heard it put that way. And that's a heavy one, isn't it? And Jesus is not just talking about finances here. He's also talking about to whom much have been given in terms of knowing the gospel of truth and grace, that, that as people that understand that truth, that we have this tremendous responsibility to share that with a lost and hurting world, right? But it's really hard here in America, it's hard for us to ignore the fact that just on the financial side, that we are all a part of the richest people in this world. And that's a true statement. If, you, if your combined family income is over $25,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of income earners in the world. If it's over $50,000 a year, you're in the top 5%. And, and many, many of us make more than that, our combined family income. So that's the reality of who we are. We've been given this tremendous responsibility, whether we ask for it or not, right? And we will have to answer to how we've stewarded those resources one day. And that reality should haunt us a little bit in a good way, right? It's not something that should just fill us with this dread or this burden of, oh my gosh, you know, I've got to do something. But we should have this perspective of we have this opportunity to do unbelievable good in this world. One of the phrases that stood out to me at the conference last week was make room, Make room. Do you have room in your heart for the orphan? Or let's flip the narrative for a moment. Was there room in God's family for you? Was there room in God's family for you? Because we were all spiritual orphans, but God made room for you and I. God's family wasn't complete without us. Right? And, and the banqueting table in the kingdom of God, they just keep bringing out more leaves and more chairs. Right? There's space for all of us. I'm glad that God didn't look down and say, you know what? I've got enough blonde haired, blue eyed, smart mouth kids named Bob. 
in heaven already. I don't need another one. Yes, I did have hair, and it was blonde at one point. (laughs) But he didn't say that. He didn't say, sorry, we're full here. He made room, and he continues to do that for each one of us, right? To whom much is given, much will be expected. Because here's the deal, and this is why I tend to get kind of dissatisfied around this topic sometimes. It's because I hear so many lame excuses from Christians, just being honest with you, I hear people say that they don't have enough money. We could never afford to do that, or my house isn't big enough, or I don't have enough time, or they're not called to do it, or whatever. And I just have to shake my head. Because if we live in one of the most wealthiest countries the world has ever known, and we don't have enough money, or our houses aren't big enough, or we don't have enough time, then who will? The last day of the conference, we got to hear from this amazing couple that had taken in over uh, 26 kids into their home uh, through just fostering, adopting, picking them up off the street. I mean, this lady was crazy. She's like, I just drive down the neighborhood, and if kids are wandering around, I just pick them up, bring them home with me. (laughs) So the first kids she said she got, they were 20 years old. Her and her husband just just gotten married. They were both 20, and they found this nine-year-old girl pumping gas at the gas station, and they just took her home. And they said, yeah, that Monday came and we took her to school to register. And they said, what you just did is called kidnapping. (laughs) So this child is not actually yours yet, but she did become adopted by them. But so these are the kinds of people we're talking about. And it was a bivocational pastor and his wife. And she said something that I've, I've thought about so many times. She said this, when there are children that need a home, as Christians, whether or not I bring those kids into my home is not something that I should need to pray about. Just like, you know, as Christians, we should need to pray, God, should I share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus? Would you want me to do that? Should I forgive this person that hurt me? Did you say anything about forgiveness in Scripture at all? I don't know. Right? We already know what he says about those things. He's given us our commands, and he's very clear about his heart for the orphan as well. And I can guarantee you this, if you pray about adoption or fostering, God will not tell you, yeah, go ahead, just leave him in the institution, just leave him in the orphanage, you're off the hook, you're fine, don't worry about it. That will not be his answer. Psalm 68.6 says this, God sets the lonely in what? Who knows it? God sets the lonely in, come on, Bible quizzers, help me out. What does he set them in? You should look it up right now. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 68.6. Okay, in families, okay, in families. God sets the lonely in families, Not in orphanages, not to live on the streets, not in institutions, but in families. And the pastor and his wife that were were sharing these stories, they have a motto in their home. You know what the motto is? Move over. (laughs) They had some of their biological kids there. One of them is a a famous Christian singing artist right now. and that's what she said, mom and dad, you know, they bring home a kid, hey, move over. We need to put one more kid in your bed. 
right? They were broke. They lived in a small little house. But they made room for 26 kids over the course of their 30 years of marriage and counting. That's a challenging example, isn't it? Make room. You know, we talk about that a lot, especially during the Advent season leading up to Christmas. It's kind of been a theme of ours a lot around here. We talk about creating space in our hearts to receive the Christ child again uh, in the Christmas season, right? This idea of just making room and space. But which Jesus are we making room for? Which Jesus are we making room for? The Jesus as we want him to be or the Jesus as he is? The Jesus who is our savior and the forgiver of our sins, absolutely. That's an important part of his nature. But we also are making room, hopefully, for the Jesus that says, if you want to find your life, lose it. For the Jesus who says, like that little kid in the video, it's not about you. For the Jesus that says, take up your cross and follow me. For the Jesus who says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Whatever you haven't done for the least of these, you haven't done for me. Are we making room in our life for that Jesus? Because Jesus comes to us through the vulnerable and the orphan. He comes wrapped in filth and abandoned and neglected. And he says, is there room for me in your life? Can you love me? People often say that they want to know Christ more, right? I mean, most Christians say, I wish I want to know more about Christ. And I think that's, I fear that that's what they mean, <laughs> that they want to learn more information about Jesus without getting their hands too dirty, without getting their hearts too broken for the things that broke, break the heart of God without upsetting the, the plans and the ways they'd like their life to turn out. In other words, we want, often want to dictate the terms under which we come to know him, if that makes sense. I'd like to know you, but I'd like for you to do it in the way that I'd like to do it. Many of you guys know kind of our adoption journey as a family. Um, a lot of it for, for years at my house, you know, we have three biological children, so we had a table of six, but five seats that were occupied at dinner. And just week after week, month after month, year after year, I just kept being, uh, there was just something in me that there was this empty seat at my table every single night. And I thought, you know what? It looks like the Millers have room for one more, right? That was just something simple, tangible for me. We brought our son Xavier home from Ethiopia two weeks before his first birthday, our next youngest child was 12. You want to talk about a shock to your system, right? It was back to diapers and sleepless nights. And that was not how I imagined my life going. I have one of my daughters graduating today, and I'm 47 years old, and that seems normal, right? When Xavier graduates from high school, I'll be 61, that does not seem normal. That seems exhausting, right? Ugh. 
A couple of weeks ago, my daughter Kylie, who's graduating today, uh, her, da- her cheer team had made it to Worlds in Orlando, Disney World. So our initial plan was just Kristen and I were going to go with her. And uh, so knowing that we're all adults, we thought we'll take the cheapest flight. And the flight left at 8.30 p.m. and gets into Orlando at 12.15 a.m. And we thought, you know, we can handle one night of, you know, not much sleep, knowing that we're saving some money. So two weeks later, my wife in her infinite wisdom says, I want the other kids to come. When else is Xavier going to get to go to Disney World, you know? So we buy two more tickets, and she said it just like that, too. (laughs) So we buy two more tickets on the same flight, right? Yeah. So here's the picture of us on the way there, right? Woohoo, we're on a plane. This is so exciting. By the way, the flight was delayed. So we actually got into bed at 2.30 in the morning, and Xavier had not slept at all. Okay, this is the picture of us on the way home. Right? Xavier is conked out, right? And that was like, oh, thank you. It was a a sweet moment, right? But it was exhausting, right? The whole thing (laughs) was exhausting. That little four-year-old bundle of joy can be exhausting. It's hard, hard. He woke up at 4.30 this morning, and we have graduation today. And it was my wife that woke up, so I'm not going to take credit like I was the martyr, but It was tough. Xavier doesn't just play games in the backyard. When you play baseball with him, like you have to, we have, my mom and her infinite wisdom bought catcher's gear for Christmas for him. So it doesn't fit him yet, but it fits most of us. So he says, I want you to put the catcher's gear on, you know, so you're strapping up the shin guards and putting the helmet on, messing your hair up, you know, I don't know what hair I'm worried about, but people with hair get it messed up. And then he has this labyrinth of rules that I don't even know if he understands, but we certainly don't. And if you don't get one right, you know it's meltdown time. And so it's, it's just, it's a lot at times. <laughs> so I don't want to tell you these stories up front about fostering, adopting, and it's, you know, unicorns and rainbows. It's not like that. It's hard. It's difficult at times. There's plenty of awesome things that go along with it too. Don't get me wrong. So I'm telling you now, though, it'd be a whole lot easier just to not do it. Just don't get involved. Because you see, this is the enemy's turf that we're invading. It's the enemy that rips apart families, that leaves these children orphaned through disease, war, famine, whatever it might be. And there will be a fight. Ask any adoptive or foster parent if it's a fight. People right here in our own community in just the last few weeks that I've talked to that have adopted recently or fostered have been in some big fights, battles for their kids' hearts, dealing with trauma in the kids that they're caring for. It's hard. And we all need a community to help us get through it. Do you know what? It was a fight for God to win your heart. It wasn't easy to find me. There's a great cost in getting involved with this orphan care movement. But I want to ask you a different question this morning. What does it cost if we don't get involved? 
I'm open to hearing your opinions. What does it cost us if we ignore this issue? I'll wait. Really, graduation's not that important. A chance for someone to feel loved and secure. Yeah. Blessing. Yeah, we might miss out on some blessings God has for us. What else? Yes, Taylor. Okay, what do you mean? Okay. Okay, part of God's kingdom that he means for us to experience here is lost. Yeah. Yeah, the weights of children's eternities. Yeah, what else? Yes. Yeah, God's story is much better than we can imagine it, you know, our own story of how we can come up and just the impact it can make on the others. Um, so it's something that we don't think about a lot of times is, is what does it cost us if we don't get involved? <laughs> and as I shared before, most of the reasons people give for not getting engaged in this battle just aren't very valid. Because a lot of times it's focused on their perceived lack their perceived lack of finances or space or time or emotional energy, spiritual energy, whatever, instead of on the God who lives in each side, inside of each one of us who is more than enough. Not enough time spent on that. I love uh, Sam uh, from the guest house came to this conference with me and then Stephanie Burr who's heading up our wraparound team that we've created to kind of care for those families they are going to be fostering and adopting. She went to a breakout session and uh, they were talking about developing these teams and the kind of people in your church you're looking for and they said there's like five personality types or five types of people that they've kind of seen are kind of drawn to caring and for fostering adoptive kids, you know. So look for these kinds of people and Stephanie's sitting there thinking, I'm not any of those kinds of people. And she's going through the fostering classes right now. And she said, you know what, it doesn't really matter. Because <laughs> this is, for her, it's an obedience issue. And I just loved her perspective. Like it could have been a, an opportunity for her to say, well, yeah, see, I knew this was the wrong thing to do. These people said I shouldn't be doing this, right? But she didn't. <laughs> in John chapter 6, we see the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's told in several different gospels. This one is probably one that we remember a lot. The, the people, the crowd have been there all day in the heat, right? They're hungry. They're thirsty. They've been listening to Jesus talk for all this time, and Jesus asked the disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And it's just such a ridiculous question because there's not a grocery store out there somewhere. And if there was, there wouldn't be enough bread on the shelves to feed 5,000 people, and if there was, they wouldn't have the money to pay for it, right? So all the way around, this is a, a really, a, you know, it's one of those head scratchers. What are you talking about? But what happens next is so beautiful. You remember, this little boy kind of pipes up to one of the disciples and says, hey, you can have my lunch. I'll donate to the cause. And inside, there's five little loaves of bread and two fish. 
And Jesus doesn't say, well, that's ridiculous. I can't feed all these people with this, you ignorant kid. Right? No, he takes it. What he knows is not enough. And he thanks God for it. And he multiplies it. And he feeds everyone. And then there's leftovers, right? You see, Jesus isn't looking for the perfect family. He's not looking for the family that's got the big house and the fat bank account to take kids in. He's looking for willing hearts. He's looking for people like that little boy to say, you know, I don't have a lot, but God, whatever I have, here it is. Do something with it. And when God finds a willing heart, he gets so excited because he knows that they're about ready to experience a miracle because they were willing to step into that. Because not only will he provide for their needs, but he will use their obedience to be a blessing to others. You see, we serve a God, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 3.20, who says that God is more than able to do exceedingly, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. You see, so often we put our, our, our eyes on the things that we can just see with our, in our temporal understanding of, oh, it just doesn't seem like we have enough. There's no way we could do that. Enough love, enough space, enough money. And God says, I can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Trust in that, not in your own understanding. When we go near the orphan, we go near the heart of God. And when we go near the heart of God, he is obligated to step in and help us with whatever it is that we feel like we need. And just like that little kid said in that video this morning, guys, I'm speaking on behalf of the children who someday will call some of you mom and dad this morning. I'm speaking on their behalf. Kids that someday would love to be up here getting a card and getting recognized for graduating from high school and having hope for a future life. And they're asking you right now, do you have room for me? Like God made room for you. And here's the truth, is that we need them more than they need us. We need them to understand the heart of God better than we do. We need them to rescue us from a life of self-centered pursuits and a small faith. God doesn't ask us to solve the problem of 150 million orphans in the world. He just says, can you move over and make room for one more? Young people, single people who are looking for their future spouse, make finding someone who has a heart for uh, fostering and adoption a, a non-negotiable for you. I loved being at that conference last week and hearing so many stories of, you know, this husband that stood up and said, well, my wife said that I couldn't marry her unless I was open to adoption. So it's amazing how quickly men can become open to adoption <laughs> in that scenario. Make it a part of what becomes a new normal for your future family. I have this sneaky suspicion that my children are all going to think about adoption based on the experience we've had of what Xavier's meant to us. Guys, I'm, I'm talking about developing a movement here, okay? We have some momentum here at Wellspring as a church. 
And we can kind of rest in our laurels and think, laurels and think man, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm so encouraged by the folks in our church that have stepped into that battlefield. I'm going to embarrass a couple of them, a few of them here this morning. If anybody in here has adopted or is in the process of adoption or fostering already and you've done that, could you just please stand up for a second so we can just acknowledge those of you that are here that have done that or are in the process of doing that right now? Can we just thank them? Guys, one day I want folks to, to, to look at Wellspring and think, man, God started a movement in a church with a bunch of no good, self-centered, hopeless people like those folks down at Wellspring. Think about what he could do at our church, you know? Guys, if you're still on the fence on this issue, I want to dare you to do something. I want to dare you to pray and ask God, God, is this something that you would want me to be involved in? I dare you. And then I dare you to go to YouTube and watch every adoption video you can find, because there are thousands of them, and see if God doesn't change your heart in some way. Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. I know too much. I know right now that there are some wives in here that want to adopt, but their husbands haven't been on board. I'm not going to say your names, but I know who you are. And I'm asking you today, men, to step up and step out. Be a father to the fatherless, a mother to the motherless. To whom much is given, much is expected. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your example. God, really the whole Bible is one just big story about adoption. That's why we keep talking about it. Because it's every one of our stories. And then we have the opportunity to live out that story in a very tangible and real way in our life here on earth, to be a reflection of your heart towards us, a God who pursued us, who chased us down, who made room for us and invited us in and called us son or daughter. And then you say, follow me, which means do what I did. And so God, you call us to do the very same thing. God, there, it's an exponential problem we need everybody in Wellspring to get involved, and then we need a lot more people. But Lord, help make us a church that can be a, a, a beacon on the hill, <laughs> that we, we can go to other pastors or congregations and say, hey, we, we, we've done it. We've started this movement, and it's not about how awesome we are. It's just we hear God's word, and we're responding, and we're developing community and support and care, and this is how we've done it. God, I just pray that you would meet people in their lack of faith right now. Meet people in their fear. Make their love for the, the kids that aren't being loved more important than their own comfort, their own plan. God, I know people in this congregation that have rooms in their house they call offices or sewing rooms or dens or game rooms that could be bedrooms. 
for kids. God, help us to be better stewards of what you've given us. Not only financially, but just the message you've given us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, that you just loved us enough to bring us in. No matter how hard that was, and there was a cost. It cost you your life. <laughs> and Jesus says, I want you to lay down yours. I want you to write off you know, the idea of you going and playing golf when you're old. <laughs> and I want you to love like I love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close?